politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and all that matters. Those of you who actually still care about results, this is your one-stop shop, Daniel Horowitz, here today for Thursday, December 14th. And unfortunately, it's our second-to-last day. But fear not, I will be doing some videos, putting out during the two-week break. I do have a Rumble channel, Sierra Podcast on Rumble. I haven't used it since last year's break, but we will definitely stay in touch through there. Make sure you subscribe on, on Rumble and also on Twitter at, R- at RM Conservative. Huh, speaking so quickly, so much to get out in two days left. And the end of the year cannot come quickly enough. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This year was a horrible, terrible, disgusting, no good year for anyone on the right, anyone who cares about morality, sanity, liberty, freedom, sovereignty, security, prosperity, anything. The Republicans started out with so much promise, control of the House. And yes, we understand you're not going to win on every single issue. We get it. But the Democrat policies are so destructive and so unpopular, we expect at least 50%. Instead, we have gotten rolled beyond belief. And it's a vintage GOP to end off their last day of the House after screwing us on the NDAA and meeting with Paul Ryan, by the way. Speaker Mike Johnson teed up a vote for impeachment resolution to begin the process of something that will lead to zero outcomes cannot go anywhere in the Senate, will make Biden more popular and obfuscate what does matter in the way it matters at the time it matters. GOP just voted as I'm going to recording here. They screwed us on the budget bill. They screwed us on the debt ceiling. So then we have two more leverage points, the defense authorization bill and then other sunsetting reauthorization bills such as FISA, They attach four onto three, attach FISA 702 onto NDAA, which in itself included a reaffirmation of every military policy you and I can't stand, jettisoning 99% of the House passed provisions in favor of the Senate. As my buddy Chip Roy put out on Twitter, if you look at the NDAA conference report, every single provision, it says House recedes. House recedes, meaning recede to the Senate, meaning we agree when you reconcile differences on the House and Senate versions in the conference report, they agree with the Senate. So this is the year of the Senate GOP downright working with the radical left and the House GOP agreeing with it and giving into it. And this is where we are. So on the one hand, there were actually more GOP no votes. Once again, Every must-pass bill, more GOP no votes, even though the GOP controls the floor of the House. But on the other hand, it was very little. So 45 Dem no's, you know, and they vote no for all sorts of progressive reasons. They don't like something about the military. And 73 GOP no's. But if you think about that, that is horrible. 73 no votes. That's, that's like a third 
A third of the GOP conference is all we can get. And that is, my friends, the story of the year. So before we get all huffed up here, and we are going to have Congressman Bob Good, the incoming chairman of the Freedom Caucus, to discuss this and what sort of hope we have for next year. But first, something that does make me happy. Uh, My wife uh, recently commented to me, you know, I'm really happy you do this for a living. We get some really nice products. She was referring to the Miracle Made bedding sheets we have. Uh, When I started talking about this, it was during the summer, and I get very hot at night. And I, I just notice how their silver-infused fabrics uh, makes temperature-regulating bedding so you could you know sleep with the perfect temperature all night long and you didn't get hot. Now, you might think, well, maybe it keeps you cool, but this time of year, you want to be warm. No, I mean, I find myself perfectly warm. It is by far the best sheets I've ever gotten. Um, it also works against – it has a self-cleaning function – that uh, prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial bacterial growth. So basically, you have to wash them maybe you know, a third of the time that you would t- typically would for other sheets. The comfort quality is top-notch, but the pricing is not top-notch. Uh, it is cheaper than other uh, quality bedding that you could get for just hundreds of dollars. But we have a really good deal for you here. You go to trymiracle.com slash conservative. And when you go there, you make your purchase. We've got a real special deal. You save 40% off with that URL. And if you use promo code conservative at checkout, you get three free towels with the same technology and save an extra 20% off on your entire order. And that's not it. They're so confident in the product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't see what I see in it, aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. But again, upgrade your sleep today with Miracle Made by going to trymiracle.com slash conservative. Use offer code conservative. Again, your three-piece towel set and save 40% off. So folks, again, after all is said and done, this most conservative house than ever, we don't have more than a third of the House GOP conference. After the Tea Party, after MAGA, this is where we are, and we have no more than a fifth to a sixth of the Senate. And a similar thing at the state level, maybe the proportions in some states are a little bit better than that. And ditto for pretty much all the governors, except for DeSantis and one or two others to you know a smaller degree. And that's where we are. Failure theater. We have failed on every issue, every opportunity, every strategy. It doesn't have to be this way. The left's policies are very unpopular. We control the how. I mean, not we, but if Republicans really are what they are billed to be, they control the House, they control the red states, we get nothing. What we're doing is not working. My colleagues will go off into the Christmas break, you know, all happy on vacation. Very posh vacations, too, I must say, uh, that I can't afford. Uh, But that's fine. And there's no kick in the pants. There's no sense of urgency that what we're doing is not working. We got to find some way to focus on the legislative sessions to somehow put the screws to Mike Johnson and the GOP House to stand up for the January-February budget deadlines. Just something. Give us one issue. One issue. One issue. 
The border? Nope. Republicans, I mean, it's very fluid. Their nego- Senate Republicans are negotiating directly with the White House to give them 60 to 80 billion more in Ukraine for some like border security. And if you heard yesterday's show, you know that's a joke. It's like, I, I love the White House. They'll move the Overton window over. So we'll allow in like three to four million illegals per year. Oh, wow. Okay, you know what? So maybe now we'll agree to like the ability to sometimes use a Title 42 on certain people we deem that aren't credible asylum, and it's up to their discretion. Like, that that's kind of what they're working on. Tom Tillis, dirtbag from North Carolina. I worked so hard when he ran his first term to ensure he didn't win the primary. He did, because all my newfound uh, populist, MAGA, extreme, anti-establishment talk show hosts were never there for us, and still are not, by the way. He said about Chip Roy, if we spent time being influenced by Chip Roy, even people with a more reasonable position than him, this guy, I don't see him being part of a compromise. I don't want to get inside his head, but I think it's unlikely. We also recognize it has to have a majority of the Senate conference for this to be a worthwhile effort. And, um... You know, that, that's what you have. Like I keep saying, it's not as if we have a bunch of Steve Bannons that are winning office everywhere. It's not. Nikki Haley is still the standard for two-thirds of the House, four-fifths of the Senate, and, uh, you know, nine-tenths of the governors. And definitely majority of state legislators as well. Super majority in in many states. That's where we are. But all my colleagues have is the polls. So there's two things. There's actually getting policy outcomes from Republicans winning. And then there's Republicans of any stripe, whatever good they are, winning the election electorally. So as far as the policy outcomes, they don't seem to care. It's, you know, it doesn't matter. It's all about elections. And then as far as elections, like, don't worry, Daniel. There's more. They're they're out with the RCP averages today. There's big news. The RCP averages have Trump ahead in every swing state nationally. And it's like I put out on Twitter today my graphic that I made two weeks ago of the final RCP averages, like the day before the 2020 election, 2022 elections, juxtaposed to the outcomes. And it's like, dude, we got crushed in every single thing, lost the race, plus underperformed the RCP average by five, six points, some states by nine, ten points, except in one state where we overperformed by seven, eight in Florida. But he's the dirtbag and everyone else is the winner. Got it. Got it. And again, it would be one thing if things have changed. Maybe since then. But no. There is... Whether it's the special legislative elections, whether it's the regular elections in Virginia and Kentucky, whether it's all the ballot referenda, whether it's Supreme Court elections in Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, there is zero evidence of a landslide Republican environment. And in fact, the evidence is a subpar Republican environment to a disastrous Republican environment. Stop lying. Stop. And again, this is not even about Trump, per se. 
right? If you, if you show me a poll showing DeSantis winning Michigan by 10 points, I'd say that's bull. I think DeSantis, if he gets up there and you, we could actually have a debate over the issues with a clean human being, I think we have the best chance of winning. But A, I don't think even with him or anyone it's guaranteed, and it's certainly not going to be a landslide. You can't win a landslide anymore. Between the demographics, Generation Z retards, a, la- the, the, a lack of a GOP ground game, it's, it's just collapsed in many states completely. And this entire mail-in ballot model that they were allowed to build thanks to Trump, literally thanks to Trump and his COVID bills and COVID policies, it's a juggernaut. I mean, and we're seeing this in the off-year elections too. They're banking this early voting mail-in stuff. You know, and, and look, I, I agree that there's definitely fraudulent stuff in there. We we obviously have that news out from Pennsylvania. We have we have surveys that show one in five are are fraudulent. I don't doubt that. But I'm saying even without that, they're outgunning us on ground game. Now, some of it's ill-gotten and should never have been legal to begin with, but it is what it is at this point. How are you going to win the election? We got big problems here. We got big problems any Republican winning, and we got problems if Republicans do win. What the hell are they going to do with it different from 2023? But the year of 2023 represents a time that never before have we been confronted with so many existential threats to our way of life, our sovereignty, our security, our civil society, our culture, our prosperity, our quality of life, our bodily freedoms, literal freedoms from being arrested by the FBI. And yet, and yet, we have nothing. Nothing. Never have we seen such fecklessness going backwards on every single issue on each one of these don't you see the fraud this is this has been the paradigm since trump since 2017 every major bill that matters there's about four to five bills that matter per year every one even when the gop controls the chamber passes with more dem support than gop support albeit they always get a majority gop support so it shows you how both a fraud it is, but also it's not like we're on our way to changing it. Well, Daniel, you know, it's just a couple of holdouts and leadership that are still holding on to power. No, we are in the minority. We are in the minority. So I'm, I'm going to ask Bob Good, you know, about this coming up, what he proposes to change and how we're going to change the game. But, you know, this all points to the fact that unless you change it from the top, have the general, the pilot of the plane, someone who gets it, gets our values, gets our strategies, gets our messaging, it's not going to change. And this was the problem with Trump. It was like he was president. It's like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell were like, okay, you do your thing and we do our thing. And Trump's like, okay. And they just continue doing their thing. Now, by the way, that's the nice version of it. The truth of, of the matter is, you know, it's not like Trump was like railroaded, but he just wasn't smart enough to lead and make demands and policy red lines. It's worse than that. Steven Mnuchin, his Treasury Secretary, downright crafted and led 
all of those bills. So, you know, when we were like, oh, it was Paul Ryan, it was Mitch McConnell, you know, you know let, let's call a spade a spade. Constitutionally, you know, they're separate branches of government. You know, legislation is led by the 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 Congress, and it's the president who just comes in on the backside, decides whether to sign or whether to veto the bill. But practically, once we adopted the political party system, when you have the president, uh, you know, a president in, in the Oval Office where his party controls the majority in Congress, practically speaking, he runs the agenda. Okay, you know, now maybe Trump himself didn't know what he was doing, but the people he appointed certainly did. And Steven Mnuchin was the lead guy on that. You obviously had people like Brooke Rollins, Jerome Smith, Jared Kushner's entire you know policy shop that was just off kilter. Uh, you had all the idiotic defense secretaries he had and secretaries of state and all that stuff. But uh, it's going to change. You know, you know, it's, it's funny. Trump was out there. Where, where's this quote? I got to find this. Um, because it's just so rich. He had this rally in Iowa where he said, we are a nation that allows the radical left to violently attack our cities, leaving behind massive destruction and death, and there's no punishment. Folks, there's literally CNN and New York Times articles from May 31st, 2020, on how Brooke Rollins, Jared Kushner, and Jerome Smith con- convinced Trump to stand down at the most pivotal moment at the worst riots uh, because he needed to so-called win the black vote. It's literally as if he was never president. It's like, oh, but this time Mr. Trump's going to do good. So both on the policy side and Trump and then the electoral viability. So we lose every election since 2017. And still to this day, it's not just like, okay, the polls are predicting something unique in 2024. It's right now, right? A poll is a snapshot of right now. Right now, Republicans would win 40 out of 50 states, win Michigan by 10 points. Okay. But right now, they're losing. It's like right now, they'll lose an R plus four district and underperform an R plus 15 district. But we're told that they'll win a D plus five district. I mean, I mean, it's just, it doesn't make sense. What we're doing is not working. You need a change in leadership, someone who is smart and could finesse the policies and lead, like, rather than drawing a red line on, what what's Trump's red line on, on primaries, who he's going to support? Did the person say nice things about me? Well, so the rhinos got smart and like, I'll say nice things about Trump and I'll, then he'll endorse me. We need someone with a red line of, I'm party leader and we have an ideological red line. You support Ukraine funding, you support the vaccines, you support more legal immigration. You don't get my support. Ideally, I'd endorse against you, but at a minimum, stay out of it as party leader. But I'm not done. The Senate just hotline, that means fast-tracked legislation, bipartisan legislation, from Mike Rounds and Joe Manchin. Mike Rounds is the dirtbag from South Dakota, another wasted red, red seat, that would provide back pay to the military officers impacted by Tuberville's blockade. All the progressive leftist, communist, Marxist generals that he upheld their, held up their uh, promotion. And I was thinking, okay... We now know that the vaccines were poison on top of poison. 
okay? And military men were kicked out for not getting it. No such bill from Mike Rounds was forthcoming to give them back pay. Retroactive back pay. To this day. But when it comes to the progressive higher-ups who are destroying our military, and Tuberville held it up to use leverage. And, 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 and I want to say, this is what it's about. Everyone's like, we don't have the power. It's not true. It's not true. You have the budget bill, you have the debt ceilings, you have the defense authorization, you have the other exp- expiring program bills like FISA, FAA, farm bills, things like that. But then also you have dilatory tactics in the Senate. So if you object to unanimous consent, you could basically grind the Senate to a halt. Let's say, you know, I don't know, the majority party wants to get done 5,000 things in a given year between judicial noms, executive noms, promotions in the military, and then legislation. They could get a few things, but but if you don't, you know, if, if you utilize every dilatory tactic, there's not much they can do unless they, you know, fundamentally alter the rules. And that's what it is. It's like just today, um, Schumer in the final day filed cloture on a bunch of nominations. And again, Republicans could obstruct this. Republicans could say, you are engaging in, pick one issue, one issue that everyone understands, the border. You are openly invading our country. Everyone understands it and the consequences. Democrat mayors are saying we're full. You can't take this anymore. This is beyond the pale. This is not just disagreeing over some sort of marginal tax rate level. This is treason. It's got to stop. And we're going to hold up everything. They have the power to do it. They won't do it because they agree with it. They agree with it. But we're just continuing here all along. Senator Josh Hawley just endorsed Trump. If you remember, Trump put out a, uh, a, a social media post attacking Cruz and Hawley for not supporting that or not affirmatively supporting him yet. Well, a day later, he caves, and that's what it's all about. Fealty to one man. You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice to live in a time where we could have the luxury of just indulging one man? And, and that's even if that one man really did understand our issues, finesse our issues, articulate our issues, implement our issues. But, uh, yeah, you know, we can't, we can't have nice things. So that's my perspective on the end of the year final piece of legislation and floor action in this House and Senate. Really the worst year ever. Worst year ever in Congress. But we'll get the perspective perspective here from Bob Good. Um, first, just want to say this interview is sponsored. I forgot uh, our other sponsor today is our friends at Patriot Academy. I'm going to see you guys looking forward. Those of you going out to their campus, Fredericksburg, Texas, I will be there Sunday through Wednesday. Um, We'll give you an update on that. Again, you know who you are. Those of you who are like, I'm into the Second Amendment. Do you know how to draw from the holster and accurately win a gunfight two shots to the chest or to the head in, you know, one and a half, two seconds? Does that sound daunting? You don't need to be a a Navy SEAL to do that. Everyone who goes through this training, you follow the training, you will come out on some level being able to do that, clear malfunctions, 
um, and all the basic handgun skills, but not just like range shooting, but actually to win a defensive situation. PatriotAcademy.com slash Daniel is where you can find all of the logistical information. Um, I know a lot of people have asked about where to stay. There are hotels in Fredericksburg or some other places within uh, within a half an hour, 20 minutes. And I know it got booked up for Christmas this time, but sometime mid next year, they will have lodging on the campus, which will be amazing. And, and it will be really, really discounted. So, you know, A, it will cut costs for your trip and B, uh, you know, you won't have to travel. So again, I'm looking, aiming towards maybe the March 4th one, March 5th. Uh, there's two-day and four-day. I recommend the four-day if you could take off. And let me know, Daniel Horowitz at starmail.com. And again, they don't have it on the schedule, but if sometime, maybe April, May, June, you guys are open for a rifle, an AR defensive rifle training, uh, the first of its kind, they have the instructors, they'll have the space by then. We need the people. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com uh, to notify me, but to... Uh, register for the next training, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So folks, wow, how fortuitous timing on a day like today to have on a guest like Bob Good, uh, who was just recently elected as chairman of the Freedom Caucus. When you look back on this year, culminating with today's unbelievable betrayal, double betrayal, with all the defense policy as well as the FISA reauthorization, I look back to how we started this year, our very first show, and it was the speaker's fight. And there were five individuals, our guest being one of them, who said, look, we are going to draw a line in the sand that we absolutely have to have a change in leadership. And 90% of conservative media was like, oh my gosh, we just won an election. Let's just get on with it. We're going to have beautiful work to do and amazing hearings and amazing legislation. And we all kept saying, look, if you don't change it, we're going to get the same thing we did from 2010 to 2018 when Republicans controlled Congress, and it's going to be worthless. So it's it's worth a couple of days to get this sorted out. And what happened was, you know, the result was somewhere in the middle. We got some changes, but because the pressure was brought to bear on people like our guest rather than the other guys, it was short-circuited. And the rest is history. Now, it's very important to realize as we talk about everything that's wrong with the GOP, Bob Good is everything that's right. He represents Virginia 5, sort of a south-central conservative rural part of Virginia, the old Virginia. He served in local government for a couple of years before then. And he actually came to Congress knocking off a liberal Republican in a primary, a very rare occurrence. Uh, who you know, guy was wasting a Republican seat in 2020, and he's now in his sophomore term and is now ready to take over the Freedom Caucus. So I'm certainly very excited to hear from him. Uh, Bob, thanks so much for what you do, and thanks for joining us today at Blaze Media. Great to be with you, Daniel. Thanks for having me, and great to be with you for the first time. Well, Bob, what what am I missing here? I, I look at the vote, and you're literally just coming off the floor from the NDAA vote. And I'm seeing a pattern the entire year, and that is the Senate GOP downright is 
in cahoots with the left. So it doesn't matter the issue. It doesn't matter how radical and destructive and how debunked it is. It could be vaccines. It could be open borders. It could be the Ukraine grift. Whatever it is, they get what they want all the time. Then the House GOP initially says, all right, we're different. And they might pass some standalone bills, uh, probes bills, NDAA, um, other standalone bills that reflect, you know, somewhere closer to where the GOP base is. And then, to quote our mutual friend uh, Chip Roy, uh, paraphrasing the conference report in the NDAA, the House recedes, the House recedes to the Senate Uniparty, and we have basically about a third of Republicans willing to go along. Is that is that pretty much a summation of 2023? It is. And, and Daniel, no one has documented this and reported and written about this better than you have. But back in January a year ago, for me at least, and, and I think a lot of my colleagues who were in that battle, it was about not repeating the failures of the past, and most specifically, that when we were entrusted with the American people, the majority, that we would fail them by passing all the major legislation uh, with predominantly Democrat votes. And of course, it was rinse and repeat. We did that with the failed responsibility act, as I call it, the unlimited increase of the debt ceiling. We did that with both of the continuing resolutions. And then we did it again today with the NDAA combined with, egregiously combined with, not only bad policy uh, and where we lost and we surrendered once again, but we combined it with the unconditional extension of FISA after railing against it as Republicans and condemning the trampling on Americans' constitutional liberties and freedoms. And yet we cave once again. And the problem is we don't have a willingness to fight. We don't have a demonstrated resolve to take risks, to suffer discomfort, uh, you know, uh, being un- got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. We're not willing to suffer any kind of a government shutdown. We're not willing to suffer any risk of FISA expiring. And when the Democrats know that and you say, hey, this is what we want to do. This is what we wish we could do. And when they say no, we go all shucks. And then we give in and we end up with the policies that the White House enthusiastically supports and Chuck Schumer enthusiastically supports. And you have predominantly Democrat votes. It's not so much uh, although this is obviously a, par- a problem with a large part of our conference, it's not so much about the ideology or the policy or the desire to do good things. It's the unwillingness to, and I can just put it in one word, to fight, uh, to, to say not that this is what we want to do, but this is what we're going to do. And the, the American people would rally behind us if they saw a speaker standing on the hill and saying, no, we're fighting for you. This is different. And you know what? The Senate they won't secure the border, so we're not going to fund the government. The Senate, they won't cut spending, so we're not going to do the same old, same old. You know, they won't join us in reforming FISA, so we're going to say no. Uh, you know, we're not going to try to trade safety uh, you know, for liberty. Uh, but uh, So th- that's the problem, is, is the lack of resolve. And it, Is it a speaker issue? Yes, it is, but it's also an, an issue because the speaker does not have the confidence that the, that the conference would stand behind him. So th- that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room here. That, And I've always said that, that the GOP leadership was a reflection largely of the conference, that there just aren't enough of us. And, you know, on the one hand, historically, we are getting a little bit more like in the 70s. Today, it was about 73 no votes. Often, I remember in you know previous Congresses, it was more like 40. But on the other hand, the, the nature of the betrayals are more egregious. 
and the stakes are higher. So, so doesn't this all lead to one point that ultimately primaries are even more important than general elections and we need to go out and recruit? I know like the South Carolina Freedom Caucus is basically having an open civil war with the conference and mm-hmm. they're just openly, you know, you, you got to recruit. Um, is there an effort as part of your new tenure as chairman of the Freedom Caucus to try to play in some of these primaries? Yes, uh, you're exactly right. Who we nominate is critical. Who we allow to wear our brand, uh, who we allow to represent us in Congress. I have no interest in electing more Republicans to pad the ability for us to get rolled and for us to surrender and provide the votes that allow us to continue to cave. I want courageous conservative warriors who are willing to risk everything politically to try to save the country, who are who are, are determined to leave here having made a difference, not to stay here to see how long they can stay here. That's the drama. And I tell that to my colleagues in the Republican conference. Hey, it's got to be more important to us to leave having made a difference than to see how long we can stay. And the primary motivation of so many, I believe, is to see how long that they can stay. Yeah, they'd like to do good things if they could, but not at the risk of their own personal careers or their own uh, their own political fortunes or whatever their whatever motivates them within the Republican conference to try to accomplish, that can't be our primary motivation. Our primary motivation has got to be making a difference. So you're exactly right. Who do we nominate? Uh, who represents us? And who wears that brand? And you know, one of the analogies that I like to use, the Democrats you know, say it's a team, and we talk a lot about being united as a team. To the Democrats, the team wins when you score points and you put it in the end zone and you win games. And that means advancing their radical leftist ideology. And they're willing to lose elections to do it uh, as they did in 22, because they know we will just kind of hold our ground tepidly, moderately, just kind of not go as far to the left because we have control, but we don't take it back to the right. So they're willing to lose uh, in order. They don't want to lose, but they're willing to lose accomplish their agenda. Here's how we measure success as Republican majority. If we have more people wear our jerseys, and wear their jerseys, we're winning. So any, anybody can be on our team. It doesn't matter what you want to do when you're on the team. Success is having more people wear your jersey than wear the other side, as long as you have a, what, what, a majority. So once you're on the team, you can, you can fight for anything or not fight for anything. You can, wow. you, can, you, know, you can fumble the ball. You can punt on first down. You can sit in the locker room. You can sit in the stands and eat popcorn. As long as you wear our jersey, that means we're winning because we have more than they have. And, and that's how we measure success. It, and you don't get kicked <laughs> off the team for anything. Just cheer for the team, no matter what the team does, because we have more people wearing our jerseys. And that's not how the Democrats design, define success. And that's the problem with the Republican Party. So you're exactly right. Uh, we got to elect more courageous conservative warriors, more Freedom Caucus members, uh, those who are – and it is possible. You know, We have such a low opinion of politicians and politics for good reason. But I have found – I'm so thankful in my three years here – that there are people, you mentioned Chip Roy, there are people like Andy Biggs and Matt Rosendale and Eli Crane and Scott Perry and Dan Bishop. There are those who I do admire who are here for the right reasons and they take risks to themselves politically and they want to try to save the country and they're so frustrated uh, with where we are today and they're trying to make a difference. And, And that's the thing. I mean, it takes leadership at the top and it's interesting the way you described your analogy there. Uh, for discernible outcomes. I I now get a sense of why you appreciate the Florida governor in terms of outcomes, outcomes, outcomes. We mm-hmm. tend to enjoy the music, the cheerleaders, the food, just being there. 
Uh, politics is an end to itself. Uh, my college. I mean, heck, Bob, you know, at least you have to get elected. I just run my mouth for a living. And even in that industry, people are scared to speak the truth. It's it's pretty unbelievable. Um, They all have to toe a certain line with elections, with primaries, with, you know, I can't get anyone to join in, in knocking off incumbents in primaries. And, you know, uh, I mean, you remember it. All these guys were dumping on you. All these big names. They were terrified of holding up the house for a week. And, you know, now we know it was the right thing to do. And now we're kind of lost. Um, but, you know, obviously we have to do better in 2024. Um, I, I want to broach something that's a little bit uncomfortable, but I think this needs to be gotten out in public. And let me just first put a positive spin on it. Unlike the left, we don't goose step. We're, by definition... If we're in the trenches, we're independent thinkers. Um, you put two conservatives in a room, you get 10 opinions. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems that I saw very vividly, particularly with the budget fight, and, and I'm not trying to defend McCarthy here and defend leadership, but the problem was, among other things, that even among the Freedom Caucus members, there was no unified red line or messaging. Each person had their own strategy, their own ask, and that made it hard enough to just go up against leadership and to try to lay down a marker. How do you unify the disparate voices just within the Freedom Caucus alone? Well, there's some truth to that, and there's some merit to that constructive criticism. And you're right. It's because we're not monolithic. We're not lockstep. We don't surrender our opinions to the majority. We're not collectivists or statists. And there's a lot easier for the Democrats to whip their members into shape and, and just toe the company line where we are rugged individualists. And so by nature, we're, we're cats that are more difficult to herd. Uh, but, but you had relative unity, I would say. And, um, and uh, the first spending fight that we were in where we said, oh, well, you know what? Gosh, it's very reasonable. Let's go back to pre-COVID spending before we had this massive plus up uh, the final year of President Trump and the first, obviously, all three years of President Biden. But let's 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 uh, go back to pre-COVID level spending. That's reasonable. The, the pandemic is over. The virus situation has dissipated uh, on non-defense discretionary. So it doesn't, you know, not mandatory Social Security, Medicare and not which needs to be obviously addressed. But at least for this year, with one house of one branch. Uh, but and, and and we'll leave defense as is because that we can't unify our party around you know, holding defense accountable, unfortunately. And that was going to be a modest, about a $200 billion cut from previous year, year over year, which again, very modest because you're running about a $200 billion monthly deficit, but at least it was something, at least it was showing the first time in decades that Congress was willing to cut with some significance. You know, a couple hundred billion dollars is still significant. And we had that unity through limit saved grow through April when we passed that. But it wasn't even just, as you know, the House bill and the Freedom Caucus led that, that we called it, you know, shrink Washington, save America. And the former speaker co-opted that and called it, you know, let's limit, save, grow. Of course, we weren't going to call it what the Freedom Caucus called it. But we led that debate. We led that vision. They essentially adopted the Freedom Caucus bill. But it was more than that. As you know, it's work requirements for, for welfare. It was it yep. was uh, the Reigns Act, you know, right, had, had a right lot of good things. And, and and Bob, I want to say, like, we're not purists. I, I get accused of being that. But we understand, look, you, you control the House. You don't control everything. 
we're not going to get 100% of what we want, but if they're destroying the country on 15 fundamental issues uh, about culture, safety, security, sovereignty, and prosperity, economy, inflation, Green New Deal, all that stuff, you know, we should get about 50%, particularly on the issues that are more popular. Like, I mean, the border, it's an 80-20 issue now. The, if we had a sustained fight on that, it's its the left could not win that. And we expect to get certain things, not everything, not a Christmas tree of every last thing. But we united. It was a good, it was a good effort. We got, you know, you know, I, I give Tom Ember credit. He he did a good job whipping that. And we all felt united. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, not only didn't we jettison all that, but it was only like one year of debt increase that was on the table. Uh, Biden got two years. How did that happen? Well, you're exactly right. We we went to essentially an unlimited increase of the debt ceiling, as much as we can gleefully come together and spend the January of 25 with with very modest in the way of cuts and reforms. There was some, but very modest. I mean, 1.59 is less. But it turns out that wasn't even the real deal. And that's part of the reason why we don't have the current the former speaker is because uh, not only did he repeat the failures of the past with the with the failed responsibility act, as I call it, the FRA, but there was we've learned now there was a sixty four billion dollar side deal that wasn't written into it. That was a handshake and a wink that hey we'll say one point five nine non defense uh, or, or I'm sorry discretionary spending, but it's really one point six six four because we're going to do this other or one point six five four. Sorry to, to gloss everybody's eyes over lays them over the numbers, but sixty four billion dollars in a side deal that now this current speaker is struggling with negotiations with the Senate White House because they want that side deal still. Uh, but at the end of the day, where we fail is, again, an unwillingness to suffer risk and to suffer consequence and to hold our ground and to stand. It's a, hey, this is what we wish we could do, not a resolve to say this is yeah. what we're willing to do or, or what we resolve that we will do. And I would argue to your point, you said about 50 percent. We ought to better get a 50 percent. The House ought to do better than that because the Senate takes 60 votes to pass yes. anything. There's only 51 Democrats. You have more in leverage. There. Yes, and where we can pass stuff with a simple majority and send it to the Senate with just Republican votes, and we can walk away. But we've got to be willing to use walk-away leverage, and we haven't demonstrated willingness to do that. So as long as the Senate knows that when, when they say no, that we'll cave, then we will never win. <laughs> and that's the thing I preached for the last nine months uh, with the previous speaker and now the last 60 days with the current speaker. But the other thing is lose we, we kid ourselves and say, okay, we're going to give now and we're going to lose now because that'll help us to win later. But losing facilitates losing. Winning facilitates winning. And they think the road to the majority is, well, let's, let, let's give in. Let's work with the Democrats. Let's do something, no matter how bad it is. And that'll help us in the election. No, what will help you to win the election is to validate the trust the American people placed in you when they gave the majority and to do the things that you ran on, which was certainly not extending FISA without reforms. It certainly wasn't increasing spending year over year and going to $36, $37 trillion in debt by the time we get to next election. And it certainly wasn't leaving the border unsecured without impeaching Biden for the, for the border. That's a whole other topic. But yes, I'm in favor of impeaching him for the Biden crime family. But we don't need any more evidence on the border invasion. That's being facilitated intentionally with 10,000 pieces the American of evidence people understand day. that. You, you impeach Mayorkas also. I mean, that, that will drive the narrative That's towards right. a budget fight on something that everyone understands. Um, you know, I think we could go over 10 different issues, but that's got to be um, part of it because you don't it doesn't require an education process. So are you guys, do you have a plan? We have one more shot at this with the whatever, January 18th, February 2nd staggered deadline. We have like one more chance 
to use a budget to get something, one issue. Are you guys working on a unified set of demands so we don't have this guy saying, well, we don't get enough FBI and we don't get enough Green New Deal. We don't get enough on the spending number. You know, I mean, it's got to be it's got to be something unified. Well, what our position is, uh, I don't want to say this formally as a Freedom Caucus because uh, we put it, you know, we put out our formal positions as we make sure 80 percent of our members sure. are willing to sign on to it. So I'm getting ahead of myself. I become chairman in, in about three weeks. I'm a chairman elect at the moment. But what I would say is uh, you begin, like you said, you begin to readjust your battle plan and you, you calculate your strategy based on the lay of the land and where you are in the fight. And even at a modest level of, unfortunately, the FRA Failed Responsibility Act of 1.59 would represent, you know, somewhere in the range of a, close to $100 billion in spending, even at that level that uh, whatever, uh, uh, half of Republicans, I forget the exact number, voted for back in the summer, and almost all Democrats voted for the Senate passed it, the White House agreed to it. Uh, that should be our absolute line in the, in the sand or written in the stone bloodline that we're going to cut spending year over year. We're going to also have the right um, people on the conference uh, uh, committee that's going to negotiate the Senate and get at least half, if not 60, 70 percent is what we should be able to get of the policy riders to policy changes where we reverse and undo some of the harm from the Biden, Pelosi, Schumer regime that's still in place because of the continuing resolutions. But it can't be 1.59 in anything. And if it takes a government shutdown, because we don't fund it. But what will actually also happen is you'll run into, there was a kicker in the, uh, uh, the, the uh, FRA, the Federal Responsibility Act from the debt ceiling increase that said, hey, if we didn't get it done by a certain date, I think it's April 1, then you go into an automatic CR through, uh, through next year, September 30, with a 1% cut. Well, at least a 1% cut uh, is something, it's, it's, a, it's an yeah. awful $16 billion, but at least it's a decrease. And then all the members who have these, you know, these thousands of earmarks for billions of dollars built into this year's uh, appropriations bills, they lose those. They don't get their earmarks. So there's a motivation that if we hold the line on the 1.59, uh, which, again, would represent a spending cut, a meaningful, significant spending cut, certainly by congressional standards when we never cut spending, that's a line in the sand. Other line in the sand has got to be the border yep. that we cannot we cannot settle for. You know, we don't need more policy. We got H.R. 2. We don't need more dollars so that Mayorkas and Biden can bring more illegals to the country <laughs> more deceptively and more quickly. It's not a funding issue. And so we can't tolerate Senate light, pretend border security, call that a victory, you know, because we took the took the invasion down from 10,000 a day to 8,000 a day. Oh, wow, 20 percent cut. No, it's got to be real. And we we if they want Ukraine money so bad uh, that. Uh, you know, it needs to be. I'm, I'm against more money for Ukraine. I don't, I don't see any scenario in which I would vote for that. But at least the speaker's got to hold the line because, you know, slightly more than half of our conference does want it. And of course, the Democrats overwhelmingly want it. Well, then let's use that at least for leverage to force HR2 and performance metrics that show that the border invasion is is become, I don't want to say manageable, but you know, it went down to at least Trump levels. Um, and 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 then you've got accountability and transparency for how Ukraine is spent, um, if that's you know what passes. And uh, you got a strategy, you got a plan for it. It's paid for. You got offsets. We're not going to borrow from our kids and our grandkids to do it. Under that scenario, now that's a, that's a pipe dream because Biden is never going to actually reduce the border invasion. 
but at least that should be our position that we were not even consider. Ukraine doesn't come to the floor until yep. HR2 is in place and the border invasion is being remedied and we have the proof that it's being remedied. You know, I, I, I would argue um, also, you know, Eric Burleson from Missouri and, and Josh Hawley in the Senate, they have a bill empowering states to enforce immigration law because I think that's that's another way. You're never going to get Biden to do something he doesn't want to do, yes. but you leverage yes. the incentive of the feds against the disincentive of red states. And I think, you know, when you look at Mayor Adams in New York City, the stuff he's saying that, it, you know, for the for the same political capital, and I'm all for HR two, but for the same political capital, you'd have to expend for that. I mean, there is an element of some of these blue cities that would like enforcement power. That I think that might be another thing you could throw in there. But either way, it's a winning issue. And Bob, I know you got to run now. I just got to ask you: Have you ever talked to your colleagues in the house, looked them in the eye, and said? Look, what's our end game? If 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 you telegraph to the Democrats that you are absolutely terrified, you will absolutely never allow not just a government shutdown, right. but even a lapse yes. of reauthorization, even yes. on something that's already appropriated for, whether it's FISA, whether it's that stupid pawpaw reauthorization that hitched a ride to the, the CR, all this stuff. Um, so let's go in the future. Let's say best case scenario. Uh, a Republican wins a presidency, they expand the majorities in the House, and they win the Senate. Well, you don't have 60 votes okay, in the Senate, right? And we have proof of concept. If you remember, 27-2018, we had the trifecta, but we're never going to get 60 votes in the Senate. So, you know, you have one bite at the apple with reconciliation, but generally speaking— the Democrats, as you noted, believe me, when they're in the minority in the Senate, they'll show you exactly what leverage is. So you're going to have the same – we had the same problem then. The Democrats balk in the Senate, so we can't have a government shutdown. In other words, how do you ever accomplish anything? Well, it takes unbeforeseen resolve, toughness, fight, because I think that if we – like you said, if we pass good stuff, spending cuts, policy changes, and so forth out of the House, and we have the majority in the Senate to also, we got, let's say, 53 votes or whatever it might be, and the president is ready to sign it, if we will, you know, the, it's the Dems who fear, it's the Dems who are addicted to government, addicted to spending, who fear a government shutdown because it doesn't keep the things humming that they value. Uh, you know, we got to be willing to. We, we've got to be willing to suffer that and and to wait them out. And I think we can win that fight. We can win that fight in the in the public square. We can win that messaging fight before the country that hey, because the days of spending without consequence are over. People are suffering yep. for forty year high inflation, twenty year high interest rates, yes. grocery prices, gas prices, utility prices, yes. housing prices, interest rates, and all those things. And I think they're connecting it that politics affects their lives. They may not know be able to explain it all like you could, but they, they, they get it and they're suffering from it. And so I, I think we would win that messaging battle, especially if we're willing to literally go to the mat and hold our ground and, and, and stand and say no. Uh, and I, I truly believe that as Democrats saw Republicans willing to do that for the first time in modern history, then, then they would cave with overwhelming public pressure to do so. And those who pretend to be moderates, there are no moderates in the Democrat Party, but those who pretend to be moderates in order to try to get elected would cave and put pressure on their own majority in the Senate. We saw this with the debt ceiling. There were a couple weeks there where the Dems, and I remember the media, they were like, holy heck, this new house, like they mean business. 
and 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 it was so promising and and like not that I want to agree that it was ever a losing proposition even in 1995 it's a myth because Republicans actually uh picked up seats That's in both right. chambers right. in 96 but but That's to right. add to that Clinton was very talented much more moderate uh, evincing and much more, you know, articulate as the bully pulpit during a mm-hmm. shutdown. Number two, you didn't have this magnitude of border crisis. Number three, as you mentioned, I mean, the 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 debt was like at you know five six trillion. Um, people didn't, you know, oh that's a government balance sheet thing. I don't give a darn. Now people really see like, whoa, this is not a future right. problem. This is a now problem. It's not a government spreadsheet problem. It's an us problem. We have like, they they do connect the spending now. I think that is definitely something we could, we could capitalize on. Final thing before you're out the door, messaging matters. Um, I, I'm personally, I think the hearings have been lame. I think they just kind of play to, you know, maybe talk radio has a couple of clips they could play, but we haven't revealed new things. When it comes, we have so much new information on the egregious behavior of the FBI, on the egregious nature of how the Biden administration is aiding and abetting the border border invasion, on vaccine injury. You know, the Florida uh, Surgeon General just sent a letter on the plasma DNA contamination. It's ironclad. Uh, the European Medicines Agency agrees to it. The Ukraine grift. I mean, we have so much information. Is there a way you guys could create your own ad hoc field hearings and use the bully pulpit to, again, create distinctly Freedom Caucus branded sort of discovery hearing events? You know, we got to get better at that. That's a valid point because we have done some of that, but it doesn't it doesn't get much media play because it's not seen as the, you know, the official house uh, business, if you will, or the official house uh, uh, hearing, if you will. And so, you know, Andy Biggs has led the way on that. We've done that. We've done that on some, on some of the issues that you talked about on the border. We've done it on COVID. We've done it on uh, a number of other things, but we, I think what we got to do is get more creative where we do it, say at the border on the border issue, or we do it, you know, outside the a place where January 6th prisoners are being held or, or what have you, where we do it somewhere where people, the, 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 the image the imagery, the, the, the word picture uh, supports or, or makes it more interesting, more attractive, if you will, to cover it. But we do got to get better on that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all you've done. And I really look forward to working with you in the in the coming year. Um, it's, you know, hopefully it can't get worse than 2023. So we look forward and I think uh, your chairmanship will be a big part of that. Uh, you know, give them hell and, and keep fighting. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate you. Look forward to talking again. God bless. Well, folks, Congressman Bob Good there. Uh, what in a terrific guy. They, they literally don't get better than that. I mean, again, he is one of the few who ran against an incumbent and won. And by the way, that was partly due to conventions. Now, it's, it's a middle ground. Conventions don't pick, but they have party endorsements, so it does influence. Virginia is a middle ground way, but you can imagine if we actually brought this to the next level – um, you know, you know where where this would go. I must say, you know, Bob Good is one of three congressmen. He's going to be the inco- uh, incoming Freedom Caucus chairman, one of three congressmen to endorse Ron DeSantis for president. Um, he appreciates outcomes, and right now the MAGA people. I mean, again, 
let's say you disagree with me on Trump, and for whatever reason, you know, you, you think he's amazing. Fine, I get it. But we should all agree a guy like Bob Good is like as good as they get, right? I mean, as MAGA as you can get, FBI, Ukraine, border spending, fighting. You know, he was against McCarthy on every time. I mean, every last thing he knocked off an incumbent to get into Congress. Yet we have all these rhinos everywhere, everywhere. And they just kiss up to Trump. They get a hall pass. All done. All good. Elise Stefanik is great, but this guy gets a gets a primary challenger because he didn't kiss Trump's ring. That is fundamentally effed up. I'm sorry. BobGoodForCongress.com. If you want to donate and find someone of value, um, you know this is a safe Republican district, but it's the primary. Who knows what these guys could do? Uh, BobGoodForCongress.com. <laughs> He's got to keep his seat. Um, And, you know, I look forward to working with him and I'm going to try, you know, I, you know, some of those ideas were important there. There's a lot to digest in that conversation, uh, but he gets it. He gets it. Um, I wanted to make sure he, you know, heard me out about the unity problem. And it's something that is going to be needed to to work on Uh, the need to message to have your own field hearings um, and kind of take a chapter out of the state uh, frame caucus in, in South Carolina. Uh, but folks, tomorrow's the end of the road for us. So we're gonna have a very special guest on then. Um, but again, you know, we're gonna have our Rumble channel, uh, see our podcast on Rumble. I'll put out a couple minute videos as often as I can, and I'm always gonna be on Twitter at Arm Conservative. I will have a few articles, you know, for the next two weeks. I'll still be writing some articles. So I'm, it's not like I'm taking off. Um, the only reason I'm gonna be off a little bit is just because of the Patriot Academy trip next week so i'll be out shooting and having a good time with those of you who are looking forward to meeting but you know really appreciate your support please give us a five-star rating on itunes if you haven't done so with a comment till tomorrow one one last time micah 68 god bless y'all and thank you for listening Politicians will never let a crisis go to waste. We have been invaded. The crisis is being used by Republicans as a photo op by the Democrats to expand their voting base. More than 85% of everybody reaching the border is coming in. That's the definition of an open border. Just down the road, you can get in no problem, no Humvees, no farm guards. What people don't realize is there's a way around everything. The Blaze Originals team traveled to the Texas border, ground zero of the most controversial news story of 2024. With some experts estimating over 4 million border crossings in 2023 alone, we embedded with the Take Our Border Back convoy to investigate. What if the entire narrative you thought you knew was a lie? Go watch the real story of Texas versus the feds and how the elites use the border crisis against us by visiting realbordercrisis.com and use code TEXAS for $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV.